This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 150 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview writers, actors, directors, casting directors, agents, managers, producers, voiceover artists, personal finance and fitness gurus, anybody at all involved with the entertainment industry that's making a splash, making a difference. And then we uh, record that chat, put it out there on the interweb uh, interwebs for you guys uh every week that's what we do that's it yes yes we do and uh you know of course we are uh just two dudes who decided to start a podcast but guess what we're 150 episodes deep congratulations my friend congratulations so, to you. Uh, you thank you to so us. we started this podcast because we were looking for the answers and uh you know the answers usually are to keep on exploring so here we are 150 episodes later and uh, we appreciate all of our uh, listener support, both in terms of uh, the donations we get on the on the website, as well as your input, especially this community that we've built up around the podcast, all of your questions and comments that we get from week to week. So we've got uh, a little bit of that in, the, in this episode as well. Amen, brother. Well, well said. Uh, yeah. Oh, tanks. Yeah. And on this episode, we have part one of my chat with uh, Masuka from Dexter. His actual name is C.S. Lee, but I just think it's fun to say Masuka, and I'm such a huge fan of that show and uh, and his work, and I was really, really excited to sit down with him. So it's a two-part chat uh, in total. Part one is coming at you later in this episode, so make sure you all stick around for that. One hundred fifty. There are television shows that haven't had a hundred and fifty episode. <laughs> There's a lot of television shows actually that haven't had a hundred and fifty episodes. Yeah, they cost. Yeah. They cost. They cost a little bit more to make. A little bit. A little bit. Take a little. A little bit more time, but you know. It's all relative. Just a few dollars. Yeah. If we see, if we only had a few more dollars, we could have a TV show. These are the dreams that I have at night. <laughs> These We're are the dreams close. I have at night. This close. Oh, 50, dude. It rhymes with your. Uh, it rhymes with your pick of the week. Oh, a little nice. Bit, sort of. That's sort of. Yeah, kind of. If you say it like this, if you say one fifty, then it rhymes right. with your pick of the week. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it when we get to the pick of the week section. There we go. There we go. So, uh, yeah, with uh, with episode one fifty, uh, Trevor and I don't have a whole lot to sh- uh, share uh, in our personal journeys, really. So we thought we'd dedicate our milestone episode here to getting through some more of these uh, listener questions and comments, etc. We've gotten, we've received a lot of really great 
questions and comments and such to the podcast. And we've got some more that we're tabling for um, next week. Um, yeah, man. So nothing new in your world? Nothing podcast worthy and nothing that I can really think of. I'm sitting here even trying to th- trying to think of, uh, you know, what's been going on. Uh, you know, happy 4th of July. Happy yeah. Independence Day for uh, our U.S. listeners. Happy 200 and, um, 238th birthday, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, two thirty-eight. Wow! Um, happy birthday, Merka! Uh, <laughs> happy birthday, Merka! Merka! I was I was thinking about going to um, Philly actually. Oh really? Uh, I did some research and found out that it's kind of a shit show on the Fourth of July. Is that your experience? <laughs> that Philly's kind of a shit show on the Fourth. Yeah, because you know it's it is technically the birthplace of our nation, so it was, I guess it's kind of packed. Like there's uh, just people everywhere. Uh, you know, I I have never been downtown actually, like in the center city for for the fourth. I've always been out in the suburbs, and you know, it's just like any other kind of suburban fourth, <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, I think it's I think that's the thing is being downtown. Yeah, yeah, it, it's probably pretty crazy. It's probably pretty awesome. Here's what doing eight shows a week will do to you too. Like this was my first my first uh, you know Fourth of July in New York, and I spent it at home. Like ready, ready for bed. Played a few video <laughs> games and went to sleep. Oh man, you are an old working actor. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm fake crying. <laughs> so we got a, a voicemail from uh, listener Michael Lopatron. There wasn't really a question. It was just like a lot of um, warm fuzzies. So we just wanted to mention it. Yeah, on the podcast yeah. and and say thank you and acknowledge michael for for sending that in yeah very cool michael thank you so much it it never gets old hearing that stuff and you you've been a listener for a long time and also um i just want to kind of openly admit that michael has uh very generously offered to support us with like the billions of tasks that go into producing this podcast every week and then our effort to build a team and just kind of delegate some of the workload and, and things like that, Michael has really generously offered to pick up some of the some of the the, the load, I guess, uh, with uh, some tasks. And I totally dropped the ball, Michael, on our communication. So I want I want to let you know that um, I'm going to pick the ball back up and uh, and hit it back to you. So uh, thank you for uh, your generous offer and thanks for for sitting tight and for the really nice words. So we also have two emails um, that we really kind of wanted to spend some time talking about. And the first one comes from Marie. Do you want to kind of kick this one off, AJ? Yeah. So this one's about, you know, we talk about a a lot about, you know, building relationships on the podcast and we tend to avoid the word networking. It's going to be okay, okay, Trev. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um. So uh, she she asks the um, potentially interesting question of how how to uh, you know maintain relationships, particularly with casting directors. You know, any ideas for re-sparking existing relationships and fostering those with casting directors, etc., that you don't know, like those out of my state. She says, hmm. um, "I do the postcard, the occasional gift, if I can help." Thing already. Uh, short of being annoying, how do you build a relationship with? What is essentially sometimes a stranger. Well, that was a good a good question, especially you know it's a it's a fear that I feel like a lot of actors have. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, being annoying is a is a is a totally legit uh, thing that I think we all struggle with at some point. It's like, when am I being that kind of like pesky actor? I don't, nobody wants to be that. Uh, interesting kind of thing that kind of made my ears perk up with this one is uh, casting, uh, fostering relationships with casting directors that are out of state. Uh, and I'm wondering if Marie travels. Do you travel a lot, Marie? Now, are you like back and forth between different markets? Or are those casting directors frequently casting projects in your area, but from out of state? I'm, I'm curious how that works. This is the first time I've heard of, of that being like a, a goal. I'm not quite sure what the situation is there. Are you, does, does this, is, am I like totally ignorant on this, uh, AJ? Like, does this sound familiar to you? Um, no, no. The only thing I can think of is either one of two things. Either she's in a minor market, kind of like what you were saying, traveling between different markets, and or... She's interested in um, making waves with uh, casting directors who are casting things in markets like Louisiana, where you have a lot of films being shot, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. or or Atlanta, where you have a lot of films being shot, and therefore, you know, potentially make some headway there. Cool. Hoping to get cast in something. Okay. Uh, you cool. Know, I don't know, but you know. I guess the the best thing is just ask her and <laughs> see what see what we get back. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it, it's in many ways it doesn't even really matter because you know even if it's just across town, sometimes in LA that feels like it's out of state. <laughs> and I know, like going to the valley for me is like one of those things where I'm like, oh, I gotta go over the hill, you know. And and people that are in the valley that have to come out to the west side are like, oh, I gotta go over the hill. Um, so I I, I get that. Uh, but she says she does the, I feel like we should speak first person to the people who write in. So, Marie, uh, you say you do the postcard thing, you do the occasional gift thing, you offer to kind of help uh, with your communications, which is great. The only thing that really comes up for me, and AJ, I'm, I'm sure you can you can kind of agree with this or maybe even add to it is it's just consistency what is that advertising rule that you hear brought up so much when people talk about the postcard thing that it takes like between seven and 13 exposures for people to start to be like oh yeah like you actually start to really register yeah i think it's a i think it's a advertising and marketing thing it's called like the rule of seven or something like yeah, that yeah i've heard um, anything from between seven and 13 but it's it's a lot essentially it's going to feel like like you're just, you know, banging your head against a wall for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. But as long as you trust that it's it's making an impression. And I always think of how I feel when I get those Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. You know, I get one of those like every three days. I don't really think about it that much. But as soon as I think that I need something from, you know, water filters to like a new pillow or something, like guess the what the first place I think of is. Yeah, because I I just get them all the time, and I throw them out. And if if the person in bed at Bed Bath and Beyond, like they have no idea, you know, like all for all they know, they're wasting paper on me. But it's making an impression. So I, I mean, my only advice here, Marie, is just to like it sounds like you're doing everything right, and you've got a targeted list, and you're you're kind of offering to be of assistance and support and help, which is fantastic. You're treating them as a human being, and you're being a human being about it. So I would just say keep at it, and I would uh, I would shoot for maybe every three to six weeks ish uh, to to shoot off a postcard with some new news. I would say anything more frequent than that, and you kind of maybe risk treading into annoying territory. But uh, I mean that's all relative. I don't really know because um, I love hearing from my actor friends um, when they send out emails and stuff. So 
if it was every week, I'd be fine with that. But so it's, you know, it's subjective, but, um, I think just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. That's kind of my only, my only response to this. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that, Trev. The only thing I would add is maybe uh, the uh, sort of social media aspect of it, especially if she's talking about reaching casting directors or other folks that are sort of out of her immediate vicinity. Not that you can't <clears throat> use the United States Postal Service to get to them. I like what um, Ben Whitehair says about uh, social media in terms of not necessarily using it as a megaphone, but turning the megaphone around and using it as a listening device. Mm-hmm. So if you can really key into what these people are into, you can maybe find out what their favorite projects are, what their pet projects are, what they like, what they're what they're into. You know, if you have if you have a, a, a casting director, for instance, who's constantly posting pictures of you know her new puppy or something, maybe you send that casting director like a little chew toy for the holidays or something like that well, that's you know what i mean nice. like yeah it's, it's just sort of connecting the dots i guess you could say yeah um it enhances something you already said trev which is the thing about humanizing them mm-hmm. and treating treating them as a <clears throat> as a person so you know because relationships are 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 all about generosity and being a two-way street and, you know, she, she is, you know, like you said, offering, you know, her help, but offering her help on what, like, I'm sure that a casting director gets lots of offers to, you know, organize paperwork in the office. But let's say that casting director is really excited because, um, he or she happens to be producing a short film. Mm. And so, and, and, and you happen to be in the area where they're going to be shooting that short film. So then you go, Oh, Hey, do you need do you need support on the set? Do you need somebody to come by and hold a boom or something? Yeah, like that? or 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 get inter- coffee yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and the only way and there's really only one way that I know of to find that kind of thing out, and that's social media. Yeah, and I, you know that's how you make a stranger not a stranger. As long as it's a genuine interaction and not a kind of a play to get on their radar. I, I guess, and, and another way to put that maybe is like, as long as you're you're genuinely being, uh, and I'm speaking kind of generally to anybody listening, genuinely being a human being that, that that is just that comes from a giving place consistently, rather than I come from a giving place. If you're a casting director or an agent or a manager or somebody <laughs> that can do something for me, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of that that happens in the industry, and it's like we we need to transcend that. We get to be be people that uh, come from a giving place with everybody, you know, from the guy in the street who's you know lost his job and his home and whatnot, you know, throwing him a few bucks, all the way up to, you know, the person who cut us off on the on the um, on the freeway. It's like you know we get to be giving and forgiving and compassionate, and that's the kind of place that you can come from where the work and the relationships will just happen as a natural byproduct mm. um now we're getting a little deep but uh that's that's kind of that's kind of well, where, where where the if, ultimate goal is i think <clears throat> sure and it, and if we can uh you know make our listeners better people as a byproduct of <laughs> listening to this podcast i don't think that would be such a bad thing okay now let's do the chanting portion of the podcast everybody hey, put hey, on hey, your hey. nikes no. <laughs> <coughs> oh, oh my god it's awful marie thank you for the question 
Um, I hope that was helpful, informative, supportive, inspiring, anything at all. And not, uh, and not, and not too creepy. <laughs> and not, yeah. Um, and I would love, love, love to hear what our listeners have to say about this. And, you know, I keep meaning to get to Bonnie Gillespie's book, Self-Management for Actors. I have it on my Kindle, and I keep meaning to dig into that because I know that she... Um, has some great ideas about this kind of stuff. And I know she's got a very vibrant community of actors around her work and that book specifically that, that are all about this stuff, like this mm-hmm. stuff specifically, like building relationships with casting directors and, and people that uh, can, can kind of supercharge your career. So maybe on, we can end on, on that note with this question, um, Marie and, and, and everybody basically uh, check out that book. And if you've got some, you know, quote unquote ninja tips, uh, shoot them our way. Let's let's keep the conversation going on this. And then Logan writes in, and Logan is a new patron. I love this man, Logan. Uh, first off, he starts off with like two paragraphs of just uh, really big time warm fuzzies about uh, about the show, and and that's never gets old to hear. So thank you so much, Logan. In fact, he even said he sacrificed his Netflix account to become a patron and support the the show. Thank you, Logan. We're both fully confident that you can create the abundance to have your Netflix and support the podcast at the same time. Uh, but he says in the meantime, hopefully he can borrow a friend's username and password, which actually is what I do. So uh, no, no frowning on that uh, here. <laughs> so to his question, he's currently 23 years old in the... De- de- how do you say this? DeKalb? I don't know. DeKalb, DeKalb I think. DeKalb, maybe? DeKalb, <clears throat> Illinois. He's in Illinois. Uh, he's here. <laughs> he's, he's there for uh, a great theater program at Northern Illinois University where they study Meisner, uh, their third year. They study in Moscow, in Russia, at the Moscow Art Theater. Uh, it's amazing stuff that they do, he says. They just have some, he has some doubts every now and then about uh, if the time he's spending there is doing him justice towards having a career in the TV and film industry. So basically he's saying that he likes theater, uh, but TV and film is, is really where his passion is. So his question is, do you think it's a sound plan to just finish up college in Illinois where I will certainly be getting better at my craft, but not dealing too much with the business of things? Or... Is it better to just go out to L.A. or New York with the four years of experience I have and just go for it? And then he continues and says, to kind of encourage us to get more specific, I think, he says, and if I do stay out here in Illinois, what do you guys wish you did during your college years to help launch your career once you guys got out? Did you start a website? Did you email casting directors and agents and just try to make relationships so they were hungry for your work once you got out? It's driving him nuts, he says, and he could really use some insight. But let's start with the first piece, which is loves theater but really wants to go for TV and film. I think that kind of part only almost deserves its own response because Hmm. I I don't know about you, AJ, but I feel like theater is, you know, I mean, to each their own, and there's always an exception. But for me, theater is absolutely essential. I I feel like I, I really have cut and continue to cut my teeth on theater. And I think it's the best possible training you can get as an actor is just do lots and lots of plays. Mm. Um, so I don't think you're, you're wasting your time at all. And I think the more you can get on stage, Logan, the, the better. It'll make you a better actor. kind of dislike the notion that theater actors are somehow bad at uh, film and television because you know, their, their, their actions are bigger or something like that. Like, there's definitely a process 
with film and television, but the process with theater uh, takes longer, is more intense. Obviously, there's rehearsals, so there's more discovery. And the trick with film and television is just to be able to take all of those things and compress the time down to a smaller, a smaller time frame. So mm. you take, you know, um, a, a six-week rehearsal period and smash it down into, you know, who knows, maybe six hours when, when it comes to, you know, the choices that you need to make quickly in film and television. So just that process is in and of itself its own sort of acting class. And I think that's w- what makes theater so special. The other thing is like it's so much in terms of in terms of actually booking the work it's so much about type and what you look like that the opportunities to work don't come quite as frequent mm-hmm. as a result and and that's another reason why it is um, why theater is great because it, it just gives you more opportunity to work yeah period yeah um, you know, and I, I'm not poo-pooing TV and film. Like, of course, we would love to have you know the careers of the guys he mentions in this email. Um, you know, he, he mentions Johnny Depp and Robert De Niro and James Dean and Dustin Hoffman. He, he's a guy, so these are all male actors. But I have a lot of um, actresses I'm 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 I very much admire in in the industry. You know, of course, we'd all love their careers of course of course i don't think that there's any reason to not do theater yeah you know? yeah i kind of you know that i've always I, at some point in my life i realized that school like the formal education that i go to you know middle school high school it, it's less about learning actual facts as more as just like training the brain to be in a learning state and to discover your own method of work, your own method of working. And I think theater is, is in, in this particular context, very much that as well. Um, you, you, you get to really learn how you work in a, in a very demanding environment where it's a little less forgiving than film and television because you can't, drop a line and then expect to go back and, and correct the take. You, you know, you, you, you learn a lot about how you work and how you handle, you know, the difficult situations and whatnot. So yeah, I think we're, it's pretty clear. We're both big fans of theater and he's obviously getting a great education in theater. Um, so let's move on to the next kind of portion of the, of the question where he says, uh, his goal is to be in TV and film. So do we think it's a sound plan for him to stay in Illinois and finish up and get better? Uh, at his craft, as he as he puts it, and not deal very much with the business side of things, or is it better to just go out to LA and New York with the four years of experience I have and just go for it? So I'm a little unclear. Does that mean so he has four years of experience? Uh, does that mean that you're going to drop out of school or f- and then go to and go to New York and LA, and LA without getting your degree? Or I'm, I'm a little unclear about the timeline. I think. Because mm-hmm. he says four years of experience and then four <coughs> years as your typical college degree. I was not clear on that. Yeah, but um, I, I mean, I would I would say if you're if you're partway through school, like I would say, finish it up and get the degree. Just it's just a good thing to have. And if you're already you've already started it, like I always admire people who finish what they start. And you're 23, and I don't think another year or two is gonna is gonna kill you. No, especially, especially sorry. Uh, yeah, especially if you're going to get if you're going to continue to get uh, you know, more and more work th- on stage in front of an audience. 
Yeah, and, and what I was going to say is, especially as a as a dude, <laughs> as a man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because men, you know, men's careers um, have uh, more longevity as, as far as playing, as far as what we what we can play. Well, there, women tend to transition from uh, you know. Uh, age bracket to age bracket more quickly um in this particular industry well that's, in- that's just- that brings up an interesting point if he was a female would our advice be different or our, our thoughts be different um not in terms of finishing what you start no but um at least that's just how i feel hmm. but in terms of um you know coming out uh, earlier yeah it's 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 a potential it, it can be a potential issue yeah. so to speak yeah well, here's the, here's the thing. Like I, I've noticed that like, when you get to LA and you and you do your your read in the room and whatnot, I think maybe one time out of the hundreds of auditions I've done has somebody actually flipped over my resume, looked at where I went to school, and made a mental note of it or said something about it. Most of the time, like it, they don't care where you went to school uh, or whether you finished school. Even they just care if your read is good and if it's if it's something they can kind of add you to the callback list or maybe take you to producers with. Um, that said, I think it is important to have this, this the foundational kind of knowledge and skill set. But also, this is a, an industry that's built that capitalizes on youth. Every year that you are not in LA or New York working, uh, you're, you're kind of taking advantage of your youth is a year that you could be. So this is kind of one of those things where you have to kind of figure it out for yourself. But um, I think, yeah, we both, we both feel that uh, staying and finishing up uh, your degree is a, is a smart choice at this point. Uh, and then lastly, we just have a few minutes here to, to wrap up this question. He says, what did you guys do during your college years to help launch your career once you got out? So it's a little different for uh, uh, between you and I, AJ, because you were in L.A. already at UCLA with a pretty robust kind of network to connect you to the industry. So what, what did you do? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, I played Bioshock. I, I, was no. waiting, I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you to ask because... Yeah, I mean, literally, I, I was, I was too stupid. I was too green. Um, mm. I didn't know. I mean, the fact that Logan, the fact that you were asking this question is a is a step above. Mm. Like the question itself, the fact that you're thinking in this way is already a step ahead of of most people. I feel like anything that you choose to spend your time on will be time well spent hmm. because the expectation like you don't you're you are the only one placing this expectation on yourself the the expectation is that you are in school to get your education and that that is where you know your focus will be now i'm not saying that that's what you have to do i'm just saying that that's the expectation so anything that you do above and beyond that is above and beyond. I mean, it's already impressing the hell out of me. The fact that you're just asking the question, let alone whatever it is that you end up doing. I'm sure it will impress the folks out there in the, in the actual industry. Yeah. I was just, I was just too green. I was too green. I, I, I think the most headway that I made was hanging out with Emily Rose as she worked uh, toward her, what do they call it, showcase, 
which I don't know if they do a showcase for your your university, Logan. But um, as she worked on her her showcase, I learned a lot about submissions and how to talk to uh, casting directors, agents, managers, etc. And that is, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but that is what how my uh, digital actor workshop was born. But other than that, yeah, nothing really. First of all, in, in my particular instance, it was kind of frowned upon to do things outside of school um, because they wanted you focused on your on your education. Yeah, we talked about that recently, and I, so, I was blown away by that. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. I know, uh, but I was there, and that's you know, mm. I, and I didn't <clears throat> I didn't fully subscribe to that. And there were a lot of people that did you know work outside of school. I ended up doing a few shows outside of school, some with, um, you know, the Los Angeles theater ensemble and some with just other, you know, random theater companies here and there. So yeah, other than that, I didn't really do much. So okay. I, what did you, how about you, how about you, Trev? Did you, do you remember doing anything uh, sort no, of pre-grad? No, pre I mean, I, mean I, I was, I, you know, I was in a different market. I was in Philly, uh, taking, you know, getting my degree at a, a small state school, <clears throat> Uh, I had an agent in New York that I would occasionally, uh, you know, take the train up to New York and do, you know, little commercial auditions or things like that. So I had a little bit of that, but I didn't book anything in New York. Um, I don't think that I can remember. I, I booked some theater up there, but I didn't actually book any uh, any TV or film gigs. I, I think the the my take on this from my where I'm standing right now, Logan, um, about a decade or two. Well, not two, about a decade. Uh, past where uh, where you, where you are right now uh, is to just do the work, just do the work because that is always what's going to be most impressive. It's easy to fool oneself into feeling like putting a website together or putting a target list together. It's easy to feel like that is the important thing, and those are all very crucial things. But the work is always, always, always the by far the most important thing. Focus on doing the best possible work you can. Read lots of plays. Do lots of plays. Get involved with student films, short films, anything at all. And just start building a reputation and a body of work for yourself. And then you'll have a really solid body of work and, and foundation to show to people and to, 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 to build those relationships on. Because your relationship is going to be built on, on the work. That's what you're going to be bringing uh, first and foremost to any professional relationship. So that would be my, my thought here. That, and that's where I was coming from when I was in that position in school, trying to figure out how to kind of set myself up to win. Uh, it's just about the work, man. Make it, so make it about the work. It's so much more articulate and uh, good advice than what I was spewing a few minutes ago. Spewing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's 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 James Dumont, man. Just get better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, and the, and here's your opportunity. That's the, that's the thing about school. How I was saying, there's no expectations. It's really less about that, and it's like your only job right now is to get better. Yep. That's, that's always it. your only job. Yeah, but especially uh, well, now you have especially all now when like you're 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 not quote unquote in the quote unquote real world that all that BS you know but it what all that means is that you have additional responsibilities. Uh, wow, good stuff, Logan. Thank you so much for your question. I feel like this is a question we get 
a lot, but we always seem to find a different kind of way to respond to it. And I'm really grateful that, uh, that we have the opportunity to kind of examine this from different vantage points. Um, so thank you very much, Logan, for, for being generous and, and asking our thoughts. Uh, so that's all we've got time for in part one here. We're going to jump into part, I'm sorry, the first part of the podcast. We're going to jump into part one of my chat with uh, C.S. Lee, who plays Masuka on Dexter and has done a bunch of other stuff too. So enjoy this, guys, and we'll catch you with open arms on the other side. Uh, a gentleman that I've seen quite a bit on television, most notably in Dexter as Masuka himself, Mr. C.S. Lee. C.S., thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and be with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so I just goofed. We had just been talking, and I <clears throat> didn't hit the record button on my track, and so yeah. we're starting over again. Yeah. Uh, but we had just been getting into basically how you got started in the industry, and you didn't grow up in L.A. You grew up on the East Coast. Um, well, I, I grew up on the West Coast initially, sorry, right. yeah, initially yeah. Um, and uh, I grew up in Washington State, uh, Vancouver, Washington. Which is essentially Portland, Oregon, um, and I did my studies, my grad school, um, my college up in Seattle, and then I got my MFA at the at the Yale School of Drama. Right. And afterwards, I moved to New York City, and um, you know, I'm not a musical theater guy, so I was just uh, trying to get work doing theater and straight plays and off, off, off Broadway plays and whatever TV and films I could get. Yeah, right on, right on. And then so you were saying that the bug really bit you in high school when yeah. you noticed uh, that you were playing sports and a lot of your friends were playing sports, but there was this element of kind of artistic, I don't know, leaning, I guess. Yeah, it, you know, it was weird. I, I grew up playing football um, most of my life, and um, I, I we happened to be at a double feature one weekend, and um, I remember being at the theater in the darkened theater and sort of glancing over at my friends and you know there came a moment in the film where it was kind of dramatic and sad and I could see them being affected by this and I felt like that was a big thing I felt like if you know if these big um, you know meathead football guys can get affected by something a piece of art a piece of film and sort of change maybe the way they Behave or change the way they treat other people. You know, um, you know. Of course, back then there were a lot of clicks. They get the jocks making fun of the nerds. You know, sure. the nerds staying away from everyone else, and you know, you get the theater geeks. And uh, but for some reason, at my my high school, it was it was kind of um, it was kind of cool to be a jock and do theater at the same time. That's that sounds really unique. It, it wasn't a. It was not a art school at all it was mainly it was mainly it was a you know it was a triple a sports school you know football uh-huh. basketball wrestling baseball um so um so so i was at the theater and i and I, I said to myself wow this is this is amazing um you know this film is actually transforming these meathead jocks and hopefully it made them softer and nicer and more open mm-hmm. to everything else you know so i saw that that power of film would really kind of inspired me and I think I, that's when I sort of decided I wanted to be at that time I wanted to be a film director you know I was like you know hey I want to be able to make a film like this and be able to affect people and change the way people uh, you know change their perceptions and, and, and their behaviors and you know and you know for the better you know that was sort of my 
calling in life, I guess. So I started taking some acting classes in high school and, and did, a, did a few plays. And surprisingly, you know, um, the acting thing came pretty easy to me. And, um, and for me, it kind of made sense because I'd, by that point, I'd seen so many films and, and whatnot. So, I, you know, I was sort of in touch with, with, my, with my emotion and I didn't feel um, self-conscious about, you know, displaying emotions. So that sort of helped me... Um, to uh, sort of getting the acting world. And I applied for some acting schools and some film schools. I got into NYU Film School as an undergrad. But unfortunately, it was, you know, pretty expensive, and it's still expensive now. Yeah, yeah, Tish is, it's is <laughs> no joke. Probably you probably come out of there with a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt right now, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, 50, it's got to be at least... thousand dollars a, a year. At least, yeah, definitely above 40, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at the time, that was probably like, you know, close to like 25, you know, back Right. Way back when, <laughs> 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so, but then I also applied to an acting school in Seattle, uh, Cornish College of the Arts, and they actually offered me a full ride scholarship. Awesome. Um, a full ride to undergrad? A full ride to undergrad. Uh, in fact, they were going to pay me $1,500, $1,500 a month in stipend to go there. Just, just to be in their theater program? Just to be in their theater program, yeah. Wow, well, I imagine that made it yeah. pretty easy. It made it, it made it way easy because, you know, my family was poor and there was no way I'm not going to come out of, you know, uh, NYU with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So, I mean, I, I said to myself, yeah. listen, you know, I'll, I'll go to acting school, I'll take the full ride, learn about acting, and then when I get out, I'll, I'll apply for film school. And that, that'll be my sort of, you know, way, way into film. And, you know, I went through college and learned a lot. And by that point, the acting thing was, you know, I was really getting inspired and sort of it kind of uh, uh, made me want to continue to learn more about acting. So I applied to grad school and I got into Yale drama school my first time. Actually, I got into NYU grad school and Yale both. And so, uh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was amazed. I was like, wow, okay. So you just pick killer monologues or you just like, I just, you just. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, right I, got, I, I got, yeah, it must, I mean, there's some luck involved in getting sure, into sure. some of these grad schools. I mean, they, a class of what, 16 per mm-hmm. class, 16 mm-hmm. people per class. And you have a thousands of, you know, sometimes 3,000, yeah. over 3,000 applicants. So um, I actually got into NYU first and I was waitlisted at Yale. Actually, uh, a month before, uh, some, sometime in July, before the uh, fall, uh, I got a call from Yale, and they said that the, the person that was, uh, uh, the per- a person had left, and an open spot had opened up. Wow. And so they were like, well, you, you know, we'd like to have you. And, and I'm like, well, I, I just, I t- I've already told NYU that I'm going there. So, and they were like, well, listen, you should do, you know, you should call some people up and, and talk to some students and decide. So... I I got some numbers. Um, one of the few people that was at NYU when I was applying was uh, Daniel Day Kim from Lost. Yeah, yeah. And he, I, um, uh, the dean, acting dean at the at the time at NYU, gave me his number um, and, and told him told me to call him and you know just to chat with him about the program. I, I was young; I didn't really know. And and um, you know Daniel might have a different story, but the story goes is that I called him. And like one of, my, one of the first things I asked him is like, okay, how many, how many NYU uh, graduates are on Broadway right now? <laughs> and, I want results, yeah, damn it. I, I know. I'm like, I, how, you know, how many? And I think that sort of threw Daniel off. And right. I think he kind of chuckled at the time. But, you know, maybe at the time I was, you know, halfway being serious. Um, 
you know, I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what grad school was going to be like. You know, who knew? Sure, yeah. So, you know, we chatted and, and um, uh, I ended up choosing Yale. And I think the main reason was why, uh, why was because that Yale, right away you started acting in, in shows, starting mm. your first year. Uh, whereas NYU, the first year you didn't act at all. They, they broke you down. They, yeah. made, they made you into a pulp. <laughs> and you know, and 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 then and then reinserted their um, acting, you know, ways methodologies, methodologies, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so I, I ended up taking Yale because you know, the right away, the first year, you start acting. Yeah. And um, in fact, by the time I graduated um, Yale, in the three years, I probably must have done close to twenty-five productions. Wow. Yeah. I mean, each year you that's were doing, intense. Yeah. I mean, they work the actors a lot. I mean, you yeah. were doing back-to-back shows and. Sometimes actors did two shows at the same time. You'd rehearse in the afternoon for one show, and then at night for another show. Wow! And then daytime would be classes. So it, it was Jeez. there was no room for anything. It was an intense program, and that you were just thrown into this New Haven little town, and you just you you were busy, insanely busy. And that's one of the ways I think you get better as an as a as an artist is is by being around people like that. Yeah, and just continue to like you know continual like. You know, exploration. Yeah, you know, yeah. God. There's a lot to be said for that kind of total saturation uh, way of going about it. Cool. So, did Yale offer you any sort of um, assistance to, they, to attend? They, um, you know, they they're pretty good with their. Um, they were pretty good with their finance uh, finances. Um, you know, they have a, a like most big Ivy leagues have a nice endowment, so uh-huh. they they help their actors pretty pretty well. Cool. Although I hear now, if you get into Yale, you don't pay anything. I guess the, the the Yale pays everything. Must be nice. So, yeah, it must be really nice. Wow. I mean, I, I think they have a you know over two billion dollar endowment or something like that. That that is awesome. So it really just kind of like once that decision clicked in your head, it sounds like the universe was just kind of like here we go, like let's take you for the ride. Like there, there was yeah. there was what were the what were the roadblocks that you came across during this time, or were there any? Um, you Did know, you have support uh, from your family or for friends? And uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know. <sighs> As a you know, as Korean parents, they their their understanding of uh, colleges and grad schools uh, might be very slim, but they know the word. They they're very familiar with the word Yale and Stanford and UCLA and USC. So you know, when I told my mom that that I, I got into Yale graduate schools, you know, she seemed pretty pretty excited. And um, but she never actually visited me until until I actually graduated. She because huh. they were working so much that you know it was such such a you know, cross country trip and all that. Um, and my mom always joked whenever I would, I'd talk to her on the phone, she'd be like, honey, are you really at Yale? <laughs> what are you really doing? I mean, I don't really know what you're doing. You know, it's not right. like I had visited you or, you know, and yeah. it wasn't until they actually came and saw me graduate. They're like, okay, yeah, you didn't really <laughs> went to Yale. <laughs> wow. So what, so what happened after Yale then you graduated, um, after doing got 25 shows in three years and then was it straight to New York? It was straight to New York for me. Um, a few people came to LA we did our, you know, we did a, uh, every year we do a showcase with NYU in New York. And at that time, we had just started doing a showcase with, uh, with the graduating class. I want to say UCSD here mm-hmm. in L.A. So we did a showcase in L.A. and we did a showcase in New York. And, you know, at the time, back in 98, the TV horizon was not as interesting and spectacular as it is today. So at the time, I really had no interest in doing a TV show. I didn't, 
you know, I just I I learned on stage. I learned theater. That's what I wanted to do, you know, and and then ultimately move myself over to film. TV, I had no I had no interest um, to come to L.A., you know, so I stayed in New York for about eight years and, you know, just worked my butt off doing a lot of small shows, a lot of free shows. Um, you know, I, I, I managed to find an agent. He was your he was your typical agent, typical New York agent, in loud, okay. obnoxious, very Ari Gold but in New York. Yeah, exactly. He cool. was your typical agent, and you know, I uh, I was lucky that that he was like the only one that really was interested in me. You know, for some reason, you know, my showcase. You know, I'm not your I'm not a very commercial type actor, so you know, I'm sort of more of a character actor. Uh, the results of my showcase wasn't that, uh, you know, enthusiastic. It was it was a little piecemeal, and um, huh. but I did get you know managed to get this um, this um, agent interested in me, and and right away I started booking work to my amazement, you know, and I was like, okay, I think my very first job. I mean, about three months into uh, living in New York, I booked a feature film doing one scene with Harrison Ford in a movie called Random Hearts. Hmm. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was also in that, directed by Sidney Pollack. Wow. And I, at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, Sidney Pollack, you know, that's great. And my scene is with Harrison Ford, you know, I had like maybe three, four lines. Too bad the movie was not very well received. Um, huh. It was not very good. I, I, in fact, I, I remember seeing a poster of the, of the movie, um, and uh, the poster, the original poster says, in a perfect world, these two would have never met. And this, you know, what happens in that movie is basically um, Harrison Ford, Kristen Scott Thomas, they both lose their loved ones in a plane crash. And, and in the midst of consoling each other, they end up hooking up and, you know. Right. And so the, the poster was, in a perfect world, these two would have never met. But someone had scratched out, these two would have never met and said, and now, it's, now it read, in a perfect world, this film would have never been made. Because oh, <laughs> it, it didn't do so well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I learned a lot from that, from that, um, that one. Actually, I, I, that one little scene I did one day at work, and I, I was, you know, I was a little nervous. Um, you know, it's freaking fucking Han Solo in yeah. front of me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, basically the scene is I, 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 I'm a diner owner, and he comes up, and he's looking at the TV, and he orders a, a turkey sandwich, and he asks me, um, there's a you know, image of a plane gone down in some bay. And he's like, you know, where, you know, his line is like, where did this happen? And I'm like, oh, down, down in the bay. And I give him, I wrap the sandwich up in a brown paper bag and I give it to hand it to him. And my first take, I, you know, I just, I was just like, kind of like, uh, you know, it was like tunnel vision. And, and I basically threw the, I threw the turkey sandwich in the brown paper bag and I just squished the brown paper bag and I just like, gave it to him. And then after that take, he kind of, he kind of, he was like, hey, hey, come here, come here. I'm like, oh, yeah? And Harrison's like, hey, listen, when you hand me the sandwich, make sure you present it to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, huh. I, I, you know, I mean, he was yeah. in a way giving me an acting tip, you know, because yeah. I think he could sense that I was a little bit nervous and whatnot. So yeah. after this, you know, the second take, I, put the sandwich in we had our lines and i neatly folded the top you know sandwich back and presented it to him very nicely like you know any diner diner owner would sure right yeah and it was a great it was kind of a great acting um exercise you know uh experience you know that is really really cool sweet so did you have to have a 
at any point along the way in, in New York, did you ever have to have like a day job or a regular job to support your, your oh, yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, I did, I did a lot of temp work. So different office jobs, um, working in basements, uh, putting postcards into boxes, did a lot of huh. cater waiter jobs, um, going out to various parties like in the Hamptons and being a you know cater waiter. Sure. Um, you know, I just hopped around a lot. And, you know, after about five, five years, I was, I was doing okay. I was, you know, I was booking um, enough where I could barely survive as an actor, you know. I was maybe doing, you know, one show a, a year. And, you know, I was booking enough TV and film work where I was actually um, doing okay, you know. Cool. So, so at that point, I, I stopped um, doing, um, you know, my catering gigs. Sure. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. So, so it sounds like so you worked there for eight years, and then what made the move to LA? What, well, what prompted that? Well, I was cast in New York for Dexter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and um, uh, it was you know it was just one of those things where I went in, um, and I read the script, they gave me the script, and I went in, and uh, I, I thought it was a great script. Um, I didn't hear back from them for about three weeks, so I thought that the project was dead. And then the next thing I know, my agent calls and he's like, uh, you know, you're going to go to Miami tomorrow to shoot this pilot. I'm like, wait, <laughs> tomorrow? Yeah. He's like, you, can go, you know, I think they waited right. the last second to like, you know, right. I mean, they had to do everyone, every other character first. And then, and then my character was, you know, basically the last, last it. And, right. um, and my first season, I was just a recurring character. So, yeah. um, although you did see me in 11 out of the 12 episodes, my character really, they didn't really know what to do with my character. Um, my character in the you know based on the books, you know, uh, Darkly Dreaming of Dexter by uh, yeah. Jeff Lindsay, which is what you know the show is based on, uh, the first book. The character of Musuka doesn't really come into uh, fruition until the second book, so he's kind of introduced. I think I've never read it. Um, I probably should now because <laughs> just to see what you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I purposely didn't read it because I didn't want to taint my interpretation yeah, I was, was going to ask yeah. if that was a purposeful yeah, thing cool. yeah definitely yeah. I, maybe if it was you know maybe if they'd taken the second book too I, I would have but um, because they only bought the option for the first book only and then from there the show after the first season the show kind of went off on its own on its own track yeah okay um, yeah it, you know, I might have read it, it read the books if, if it uh, uh, if the second book was uh, taken too but but yeah, so then, so then uh, off to Miami I went and sh- shot uh, shot the pilot through Hurricane. I believe it was Rita. Hurricane came through while we were filming, and we stopped film, uh, production for about a couple days to let the storm pass. And at the time, we didn't know it was a bad storm, hmm. so you know we had the option to go north. And uh, most of the cast was like, "Hey, we're not gonna yeah this." sit here and party <laughs> so we were like outside Let's at night drunk. yeah we were like partying in the pool wind was howling palm leaves everywhere you know we just have we've got salsa music on we're just like partying it up oh this is great next morning we wake up when like we see like boats flo- floating by in the streets wow. we're like, oh my god this is really bad and you know there was a lot of flooding and people yeah. died in that storm so so uh so then you know we finished the, the pilot and um not too long after that, maybe a month uh, went by, and they finally said that it got picked up and it's going to be shooting in Los Angeles. Awesome. So I was like, well, I guess I got to go to Los Angeles. They shot that whole thing? All the episodes were shot in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, except for the pilot. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, pretty much after the second season, um, everything was shot here. Wow. 
Yeah. They did a great job of making it look like Miami. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's the, uh, they have uh, stock footage that they use, mm-hmm. you know. Um, anytime you, you see like a skyline in Miami or something, that's, that sure, is Miami. Sure, yeah. You know? But anytime you see an actor in the shot, it's probably Long Beach or San Pedro. Oh, yeah, I guess that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. That's where you'd get like those dock scenes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we get this question a lot, and I know that we're going to have listeners ask if I don't ask it. So one thing that we, we hear a lot um, in interviews, not necessarily this show, but any interview with, with you know successful working actors is something along the lines of, yeah, you know, so I was struggling, and I was doing this and this and this, and then I booked Avatar, and then, you know, and it's yeah. kind of like, whoa, 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 what happened in between? Yeah. So I know you said you were, you were working well, you were yeah. able to kind of give up the catering stuff, yeah. but what happened between giving up the catering stuff and then like being seen for a recurring on a, on a, on a uh, showtime pilot. Cause it's not the kind of thing you usually work your way up to, or was this just as out of the blue as, as anything? I mean, it was, it definitely felt like it was sort of out of the blue. Um, but at the time I had, I had, you know, I had just done a, uh, a three month gig on the Stepford wives, the movie mm-hmm. the film, um, it was supposed to be a one month gig and it ended up being, it went over budget over time. And the movie was, you know, in the end, a, a big, big flop. <laughs> the one with Nicole Kidman? Yeah, the one with yeah. Nicole Kidman. And, um, you know, I was like one of the Stefford wives. And, um, and uh, you know, I, for, for some reason, um, they kept me around a long time and, and, you know, everything went over budget and over time. Um, so I got, you know, I started to get some good tastes of, what a big budget feels like and and you know I was lucky to be able to work with some great people in the theater and also in in TV and film during my time in New York but definitely it definitely felt like this was sort of like hey this is uh this is my chance now you know mm. but i mean before that i mean i was i, I really I, I i was still strong in 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 doing theater i i was you know that that was my main my main uh, feed line and and um you know, I, I never really focused on, like, you know, making it in TV or making it in film, you know. Uh, the film and TV stuff, if it came, it was just a added incentive hmm. for me. Hmm. Whereas now, it's I think it's kind of switched, you yeah, know. Yeah. You know, doing theater is a luxury, and it's, yeah. it's, it's inspiring, but um, it doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. You know, and yeah. as you get a little older, I think, I think you realize that. You what know? was your favorite role that you've ever done on stage? Uh, you know, it was definitely, uh, I'd say Romeo. Really? Yeah, I did. I played Romeo, uh, during my second year in grad school. And I think that was the role that sort of broke me out as well. Cause up until that point, the roles that I've been, uh, doled out, cause all the roles were, um, assigned by, by our acting teacher. Oh, and in, um, grad school? in grad school, they were assigned, they were assigned, okay. um, you know, coupled with the directors, they sort of met with uh, the ha- head of acting and they, they cast it themselves. So, you know, nothing was auditioned for or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first year at Yale, no one really knew me and I never had the opportunity just to let them see my full wings, you know, spread, spread mm-hmm. out, you know? And so when I got cast in Romeo, I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is a great part. And, um, you know, um, I got, I got to make the most of it. And, um, and we did it and, you know, there wasn't a dry eye, dry eye mm. in, the, in the audience. And, uh, the show was a, it was, it was a great show. I mean, it was a great cast. And from then on, I got like great roles, you know, <laughs> um, right on. Yeah. 
Cool. What, what's one thing that you wish maybe uh, grad school had prepared you for, but that you've kind of been taken by surprise by in the, in the post-grad school world? You know, it's hard to say because I, I, I really wish I could say grad school could have taught me the business end of acting, you know, mm-hmm. um, of getting agents and, you know, uh, meeting with casting directors and what that's like. But you know what? No, no amount of class can, um, can prep you for that kind of experience, yeah. that kind of real life experience. Um, the only way to learn the business end is by going about it, making mistakes and, you know, living in the real world. Which is such a shame because, you know, you know, you really want the grad school experience to sort of, you know, to address that as well. But, but um, it's, you know, it's really, it's nearly impossible, I think. Um, I think NYU does a better job of doing that with their mm-hmm. actors because they're so in touch location-wise because right. they're right there in New yeah, York. I was going to say they're right there. Yeah, yeah, they're rubbing shoulders with casting agents and, you know, producers and directors all the time. Whereas, you know, we're up in New Haven and all we got are, you know bums on the street <laughs> you know it's, it's very secluded you yeah, know, to yeah, say yeah. the least yeah um you know yeah I, I, w- I wish i wish grad school you know would have would have could have but i don't know if there's any way to do that really yeah you know the, the reason i ask is because you said that the the kind of the head of the department and the, the the professors and whatnot got together and cast the show yeah so was there a lot of that or did you guys have the opportunity to develop audition skills and things like that no in fact we we didn't even have uh do we have an audition class? I guess they, they probably um, figured that you you were in Yale grad school. You didn't yeah. need to worry about yeah. your audition yeah. skills. But well, you know, when I went to Yale, there was um, our acting teacher named Earl Gister had been there for about fifteen, maybe almost twenty years, and he had taught you know uh, Rock Dutton. Um, he had taught. Um, my mind's going blank now, but um, you know, a lot of lot of good names, a lot of good names sure. that have had come through there, and um, it was a very traditional sort of um, three year conservatory program where you had one guy basically doing it all, mm. and he and 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 the reason why it worked uh, is because he was so good. He was a phenomenal acting teacher, phenomenal. Probably learned most of my acting chops from him from that guy. Um, one of those, you know, one of those guys, one of the very few master acting teachers, um, still alive today, you know, uh, Ron Van Lu is another guy that is, uh, an amazing acting teacher. But when, you know, when, when you have a person like that running a program, you don't need, you know, a staff to, uh, cast, um, a show. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly what you need to work on and he knows exactly, you know, what, what what you know what you should be cast as right so you know and there's always there's always a controversy in you know sure um, yeah the whole political you know politics of grad schools but you know yeah. in just like in life there's always politics involved yeah and there's always going to be yeah. people who complain and you know but that's just part of life it's more about how you deal with it rather yeah. than trying to transform the system wholesale yeah, yeah yeah i mean you know there's certainly room for voice but you know if you're put in that situation you got to make the most of it for yourself because no one is really looking out for you except yourself
Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of Trevor's interview with actor C.S. Lee. I'm really excited to have, you know, this caliber of, uh, uh, of guests, especially actors who are at, there and doing it and, and, yeah. and working consistently. Like, his IMDb credits go on for days. Yeah, and he's such a <clears throat> nice guy. And it took everything I had not to do, like, the Masuka laugh. I don't know if there's any Dexter fans listening, but I there were a couple times where he said stuff that I that was funny, and I wanted to be like, uh, like that thing he does on Dexter, but I didn't. I resisted. <laughs> didn't want to end the interview right there because right he may have. <laughs> he, he like takes off the headphones and throws yeah. them and walks out of the room. I thought oh, this was a professional interview. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, great awesome. dude. Uh, really enjoyed meeting him, um, and uh, he's one of those people that I, I kind of hope to just. I don't know. Keep keep in touch with somehow throughout the 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 years. Um, just yeah, man. Why not? He's he's been he was really generous. The the moment I met him, he just gave me his email address, no hesitation, and he gives his email address in the second part of the uh, interview. You guys you guys will hear. He just says, if anybody wants a question, ask me a question. Just here you go, email me, and he just says it out loud on the uh, on the air. So uh, very generous of him. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a very fun film that I just found out from Trevor was based on a short story uh, that was written in uh, 1939 called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. This new one was uh, the one uh, that was uh, actually, I think, directed by and starring Ben Stiller. He directed it, too? I think so. Uh, let me double check that on, 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 uh, on IMDb, but I'm pretty sure he either directed it or produced it. Yeah, no, he directed it. Wow, good for him. <clears throat> That's awesome, he directed man. it, and he also starred in it, and it also stars uh, Kristen Wiig and um, Adam Scott, who's just a total prick in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing I liked about it, and uh, you know, we're kind of in a hurry here, so I'll just be brief. The thing I liked most about it is it had an indie film an indie feel with a sort of Hollywood budget. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I, I really, I really uh, appreciated that. It didn't, it didn't really have like, like the story was kind of, uh, simple and it didn't really have a, a, a big climactic, you know, ending or anything. It was just, it was very sweet, very simple, very, um, you know, the, like the emotions were, um, displayed in very, you know, simple scenes, um, without a lot of dialogue. And I, I, I just, I, I really appreciate it. It's a fun movie. I don't think it's on Netflix or anything. We rented it on, um, iTunes. Cool. I'll have so. to add that to my list, man. It's, I've, I've wanted, I've heard it was great. I've wanted to see it for a while. Uh, I really enjoy, I, I like Ben Stiller, man. I, I'm a fan of his and I know he's a hard worker and he has created the majority of his opportunities himself. I don't think he's mm. one of the, I mean, you know, we'll find out when we interview him. But uh, he's one of those guys that I don't think has had a lot handed to him. Just from the, the little I know about uh, his career and seen interviews and behind yeah. the scenes stuff. Um, and indie feel. I like I like that you said that. It's got an indie feel to it. So yeah. Yeah. I have a, a list of movies to see uh, in my Evernote that I'm constantly adding to. So I'll have to add this to that list. Awesome. Makes it makes that those those moments where you're sitting in front of Netflix with a friend, you're just like, "What do you want to watch?" I don't know. And you know, there's like a there's like all these jokes on the internet now about people doing that and spending an hour doing that and then not watching anything. 
Huh. I'm sure we've all experienced something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I've definitely experienced yeah. that. So That's now hilarious. I've, now I've got my list, and it's, <clears throat> it just diffuses that whole, that whole situation. That's awesome. Uh, all right. So my pick of the week is uh, an app called Headspace. It's also a website, and this is also a meditation app. Uh, a few episodes ago, I, I picked uh, Calm.com as uh, yeah. my pick of the week, which is a meditation thing. And uh, I like Calm a lot. I really do. And it's, it's different than Headspace. But what I like about Headspace is there's a very clear track that you can take. And I just like the way it's it's organized and built. And there's one guy who kind of walks you through the very basics. And there's more advanced levels. And you do have to kind of pay to unlock the more advanced stuff. But uh the guy's been all over the world. He's like a, he's like a, um, oh, he's, what's the word? He's like a, an official, this is not the right word, but he's like an official Buddhist monk an ordained. That's not the right word either, but he's like, he like went through the training or whatever you call it for Buddhist monks, but he's like a, he's like a, he's like a big deal. Um, and he's been through whatever necessary stuff you have to go through to become like legit in that, in that, uh, in that sense. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy it. It's different than Calm. Um, they're both great, but I, I think I like Headspace a little better, even though it, it costs uh, a little bit more if you want to unlock the uh, the more advanced stuff. But there's like a 10-day, he calls it Take 10. It's 10 days of 10 minutes a day that he walks you through to kind of start you off, and you can um, connect with buddies on the app and actually track each other's progress, and there's little milestones and badges you can earn for your activity on it, and I really like it. Um, so headspace.com so far, uh, so good with it. That's awesome. Life. Yeah. You, you, you've been, you've been really into these, uh, incentivizing apps. I, I, I love the gamification of anything basically. Nice. In fact, I, I, we should talk about this off the air. I have an idea that I want to run by you Uh-oh. Uh, that I've been kicking around for a while, but I, I think it's time it may have come. So, IAP um, gamification. Perhaps. Um, not sure. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, uh, then if, in that case, we will move on yeah. to our listener pick of the week. This is in direct response to something I talked about. Was it last episode or the episode before when I just said putting yourself on tape is hard and there's really no centralized resource for it? Um, yeah. Turns out that uh, the folks <laughs> over at LifeRaft... Uh, put something together like as if you know I asked the gods to the acting gods for some help and they smiled down upon us. Um, but the life raft did a, a two or three part series. I, I haven't had a, cha- a chance to check out um, all of the videos, um, but we got this email immediately from uh, one of our patrons, Tom Burt and Dennis Baker, who helped us put who helped us put together our hundredth um, episode yeah. live stream at uh, Life Raft at the SAG Foundation. He, he's the director of all, all those, uh, all those <clears throat> videos now. He's been, been over there for a year or two, and he's, he's been listening to the podcast since, like, almost day one. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so he is... Yeah, he's awesome, and he's a great resource, and he sent, uh, along with Tom, uh, this, this link that we'll post on our website, but it's basically uh, a how-to self-tape auditions from Life Raft. So I'm really excited to, to, to watch this. But, of course, we thought we'd share it with our listeners so that, that uh, you can all uh, have this sort of centralized location to, to view it. So, uh, disclaimer that I, I have not watched it, but um, I can't imagine that um, 
Dennis would uh, would would put anything together that was subpar in terms of quality, and um, you know we've got a second recommendation from one of our patrons, so yeah, uh, should be good. Yeah, this this uh, this 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 pick, as it were, came through like almost immediately uh, after we put that episode out, and it was like they came in like simultaneously, like within minutes of each other. We had two people be like, "Oh, here's your answer." Uh, Boom and and yeah, these life rap videos are always so great, like really high quality stuff out of there. So um, thank you, Tom, and thank you, Dennis. <coughs> Patron of the week. Patron of the week, Dana Schaff. <coughs> Am I saying that? Is it Schaff? 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 I think Schaff. I think Chef it is. Uh, yeah, we we met Dana not too long ago. Uh, she invited us to a workshop put on uh, by uh, an acting coach that she's working with that she loves. Uh, the guy was uh, wrote the book called Sherlock Holmesing the Text. Really, really interesting book. Really cool uh, stuff from um, that class. I, I'm blanking on his name, of course, because we're on the air. And uh, my subconscious likes to make me seem like a douche sometimes. So, um, do you remember his name? Uh, Tim Phillips. Tim, thank you. Tim Phillips. I could edit that, but I'm not going to because we're all people here. Uh, Tim Phillips, really great um, stuff from his corner. And Dana works with him closely. And uh, she's been supporting us for a while. Been really, really fantastic. And we wanted to just shine the spotlight on her for uh, a hot second here. Her uh, bio on our patron page says that she's best known for her starring role in the 2010 Sundance short film Desert Wedding. So right off the bat, uh, totally legit credit. Awesome, Dana. Uh, she's also appeared on TV and in several feature films. Although she lives in L.A. most of the time, she has worked in Chicago, New Orleans, and Philadelphia. That makes her super awesome. Uh, <laughs> like an M&M, she's a hard candy shell with a soft, sweet center. Smiley face. Uh, you can find out more about her on our website uh, she her stuff is featured in the show notes for this episode you can find a, a, a picture of her as well as this little blurb and links to her facebook imdb account and her twitter profile right there in the show notes and and on our patron page so dana thank you we love you uh, our listeners love you too and you are what keeps fuel in the tank of this little this little thing we do I, I think believe. that's it. That's all she wrote. All right. Um, so we got a we got a boogie. We're out of time here, unfortunately. So y'all know how to get in touch with the podcast. Y'all know how to interact with the podcast and leave a voicemail. And y'all know how to leave reviews on iTunes and donate to the podcast. So uh, that about does it for episode one hundred and fifty. Rhymes with Walter Mitty. Uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna regret this podcast someday. Um, <laughs> my name is Trevor Algott for our production coordinator Jen Levin and our technical producer Cesar Gamino and our marketing director and awesome web guy Gadali Guberek uh, as well as our, our growing team we'll have more announcements very soon on, on who else is joining us but uh, for all of us thank you for listening take it away AJ I'm AJ Meyer <laughs> we'll see you next week and in the meantime get better This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start.